thanks to today's sponsor of Does Not Compute, Hired. Looking for a new job can be terrible. It takes a lot of time, and there's so much unnecessary process. Hired has totally streamlined it, though. After you fill out your profile, it just takes a couple of minutes, employers will apply to hire you. Best of all, those interview requests include salary and equity information up front. That means there's no more time wasted going through an entire interview process just to find out that the salary offer doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired works with over 4,000 employers, from household names like Facebook to some of the coolest startups around. They've got jobs available in 17 of the major tech hubs across North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. They also make sure your privacy is protected by hiding your profile from current and past employers. It's totally free for you to sign up and use Hired, and in fact, they'll give you $1,000 to say thanks when you find your next job through them. Better yet, if you sign up at Hired.com slash DoesNotCompute, they'll double that thank you bonus to $2,000. Remember to sign up today at Hired.com slash DoesNotCompute. There's so many questions rolling around in my mind. I uh, have been taking about a half an hour a day, uh, whether it's in the morning or in the evening times. And I've been jumping into Elixir, which for me is a whole different paradigm with functional programming. I've been firing shots at John Gold uh, on Twitter, asking questions about functional programming. And just, I think I was talking to you earlier today about lists. I didn't, I'd never used a list before or a linked list. I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. I mean, I guess... As a JavaScript and Ruby developer, primarily, that's probably something that never really came up. <laughs> so Elixir has like syntactical sugar, right? So they just look like arrays. So in my mind, I'm looking at this thing, I'm like, that's an array. And I keep saying things like array. And then I, the more I read, the more I realize that it's not the same thing. And I found an excellent article today on lists. So I have a blog post called Note to Self Elixir. And as I struggle with things, I just dump answers. So I'll have something like, what is a quote in Elixir? Or what is a macro? And today I added, what is a list? And uh, I linked to this article called Understanding Lists, and I'll have it in the show notes. But it basically breaks down what a list is, you know, I, head and tails, um, all that stuff. I, I still am kind of really new to it. And uh, yeah, so it's just funny because you said JavaScript and Ruby, you never really have to deal with that. And I haven't. And today I was looking at Josiah and I was like, hey, have you seen this great article about lists? And he was like, I know what lists are. And I looked at him and I said, I've never used them before. And he was like shocked. So really quickly for any of our listeners who don't know what a linked list is, a linked list is a data type in some programming languages. It is a thing where it will often be used in the same way as an array, but as opposed to an array, which is a thing that takes up a continuous contiguous unit of memory. A linked list actually can, each element of the linked list can exist in a different place in memory. And it's two pieces. There's the actual data that is that element of the array. And then there's a pointer that tells you where in memory the next piece of it lives. So that's the link and what makes it a linked list. Right. Like the head and the tail, the head would be the value of that current piece, that current item that you're on. And the tail would be a whole nother list. It could be just a whole nother list of stuff, heads and tails. It's crazy to me. But... What brought it up was today, 
again, I was doing my uh, elixir studying and I was working on some exorcism.io problems. And if you've never heard of that before, you should really check it out. It's great. It forces you to read tests and write tests around the code that you're writing, especially as you learn the code. It's awesome. But uh, the exercise I was doing today was having me re-implement a few different um, methods that are on the list the list uh, module in Elixir. And the first one was count. So you pass it a list and that function that you're writing just counts the number of items in the list. And at first I didn't really know how to approach it. So I started Googling a little bit and then I started looking into what a list was. And then I started looking into uh, tail recursion, which was a whole nother, a whole nother rabbit trail. Um, yeah, it, it's nuts. So basically if the only way to solve this problem, like to the only way to actually have a functional language where you don't have state actually tally the number of items in a list is to use recursion and which is something I've never really done before. And so with Elixir, how it works is you have one function that kicks it off and you'll pass a list and maybe an accumulator and then you'll have two more functions. One function will take an empty list and one function will take head and tail as an argument. And then you just iterate over head and tail, and then it calls itself until it's empty, and then it spits out the value. Right. And so in this case, tail call recursion, again, for anybody who doesn't know, is the idea that if you have a, a, a function or a method that is calling itself over and over, if the last thing that happens in that function is that it calls itself, then you'll eventually just end up going down a giant rabbit hole and you'll get a stack overflow. That's where the term comes from, basically. And instead, what some really smart interpreters do is actually look for tail call recursion. And since it doesn't need to go its level deeper in the stack, it'll actually pop it out of the stack every time it calls itself. So you, you'll never get a stack overflow in that way. Yeah, what, what you just said there. It's so crazy to me that you... It seems like every time I bring up a topic, you just know something about that topic. I read a lot of things that seem very, very useless at the time. But then they always seem to come up several years later for no apparent reason. Uh, it's pretty amazing to me. And it's also really useful to me because you always provide me with a link that teaches me about the subject. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm just, I feel like I mentioned that last time, just functional programming with the whole math thing has been blowing my mind. And I'm really into it now because it's so different, I think. Uh, I spend most of my day job writing JavaScript. Um, actually, currently, I spend most of my day job writing uh, templates in JavaScript and making design changes to this project. But it's such a different paradigm for me. And and uh, I'd never really worked with tuples before and never really worked with lists before. Um, never really worked with structs before. Like, I get what a struct is. You know, it's a piece of data. It's a map, essentially, that can have a default state to it. Um, but never really used them before. And I think that's why I'm really into it. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to learn things in functional land and bring them back into my everyday programming. And uh, so I've been using Lodash for a while, Lodash underscore or whatever. They, they both do the job fairly well enough. Yeah, so I'm trying to do more and more things. Not to run off on a tangent, but I know that Vue version 2 is coming out. And one of the things that is being deprecated would be the filter by tag or filtering inline in the template. And the reason they, they're doing that is because they want to encourage you to use things like Lodash to do the, do the filtering and sorting for you. Essentially, you would use your functional functions like list or like uh, map and reduce, et cetera, to do that for you. So I've been taking it upon myself to practice that. And I got to say, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like cleaning up my templates is great. So cleaning up my templates is great, but it's also much easier to 
see all of the the filtering and the in the sorting that I'm doing uh, in one area as opposed to scattered across the templates. This is one of those great examples of programming skills being portable, where the stuff you're learning in Elixir, these things that seem like they would have nothing to do with writing JavaScript templates, actually do give you a lot of knowledge about concepts that you can use in order to make your day-to-day life easier, even though you're not writing pure functional stuff. You're not writing Elixir day-to-day, but it's still extremely useful to you. Um, and just kind of on the on the topic of random programming things and getting deeper knowledge about all this stuff, uh, the talk about linked list reminded me of this fantastic article I read a few years ago by one of the developers of the original StarCraft. And he goes into a bunch of detail about all the issues they ran into while they were making it. And he talks actually a lot about linked lists. And this is one of the first times I ever really heard about them. And that term clicked for me. It kind of made sense. Uh, So we'll make sure to get that in the show notes. It just was something that I thought of. So you were talking to me a little bit earlier about this article also. And I haven't read the whole thing. I've been skimming it. It's (laughs) I love stories like this just because there's there's so much history there. I mean, I didn't play the original StarCraft. I played StarCraft 2 as you introduced me to that game. But I don't know. I love reading stories about old StarCraft, about Doom, about all those old cold bases, all those old stories, Blizzard's old stories. Uh, a while back, I think it was maybe last year, I actually got to work on a project with Joey Ray Hall. Uh, and if you don't know who he is, he's one of the original uh, Blizzard employees. And he he wasn't a programmer, but he had a hand in pretty much any cinematic trailer, live action trailer they ever put out in any game, any commercial, anything like that. And so we would have our project meeting and then afterwards he would just sit around and tell us stories about the early days. And I always loved hearing about stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's really incredible because you see all these things. You see StarCraft as it was released and it's this beautiful polished product that people pay, play professionally. There's a whole industry built up around this game, especially like in South Korea. It's massive. It's just huge. But then you read these articles and you hear these stories and you kind of realize that these great programmers, these amazing people that we idolize in a lot of ways, they're just people. They make all the same mistakes that every new programmer makes because a lot of them are really young when they make these incredible things. And they're just doing the best thing that they can do. And as if you go and read this article, you'll see that man, they made a lot of mistakes when they were building out StarCraft. But look, they still made a really cool, enduring thing that made a ton of money. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, you look at something like that, that is a huge industry, has a huge following, makes a ton of money. And you don't necessarily think to yourself, oh, they're manually, what did you say to me earlier, Paul? They're manually managing doubly linked lists in the source code? I'll give a very high level summary, but effectively they they had doubly linked lists for every unit in the game, every building in the game is stored in these doubly linked lists, but they didn't have any convenience methods to add or remove things or, or edit the lists. So anytime that needed to be done, the programmer would just write it out by hand in line where it needed to be done, which obviously, of course, that's going to cause a lot of bugs. And it's just funny to think that something as cool and amazing as StarCraft started out being written in that kind of way. That's mind-blowing to me. That's crazy. I can't even imagine handling something like that. It, It's such a foreign thing to me. I'm still learning about lists and just discovering this. And I mean, this stuff's been around for a long time and I think it's, it's all really cool. One thing that I think is really cool about JavaScript and Ruby and any language where you get a lot of the lower level stuff abstracted is that it really does level the playing field, at least for getting into programming. Because I know you and I both started out in, in similar kind of ways where we learned from doing weird little websites and just kind of picking things up as we went. And I think 
part of what enabled that for us, what what let us get to the point where we can care about things like linked lists and care about learning functional programming, get into these sort of more in-depth topics, is that JavaScript exists. If Ruby didn't exist, I'm not sure I would still be a programmer, probably not for a living. And while those things aren't the most you know, close to the metal kind of thing. They're not the fastest. They're not the best. Programmatically speaking, they're kind of terrible in a lot of ways, but they still enable people to make really cool stuff. Like both of us have made things that have made people money and are valid, useful things in the world without knowing any of this, or at least knowing very little of it to start. Exactly. And the way that I got into programming, we've mentioned it before, you know, through front end, through HTML and CSS, I feel like the barrier to entry for me was low enough at that time that I could get into it and I could, it kind of stuck, you know, I wasn't feeling too overwhelmed. Now, granted, this could totally be because I came in through front end and then learned object oriented languages. But to me, it seems like the curve with Elixir is, is much more intense. Just, it's totally different than I'm used to thinking. Um, different way of working, different way of solving problems. It's just such, I don't know, it's really hard for me to grasp. And I find myself having to do exercises over and over again to be able to retain the information. But that doesn't, like I, like you said, that doesn't mean that I'm not grateful for CSS. I'm not grateful for HTML. I mean, those things are difficult in their own right. And they're definitely a discipline in their own right. Uh, it just so happened to that I was able to come in that route and it made it easy enough for me to to get my foot in the door long enough to, to stick around to learn some functional stuff. So yeah, I'm really excited to see what comes next. I mean, it's for me, it's always really great when I find that thing that gets me jazzed about, I'll use Drew Wilson's term there, jazzed. He gets jazzed about stuff. Uh, but he gets me excited about programming for a little while longer. And I know in the past shows I've talked about, oh, I'm, on, I'm in Node right now. I'm in Node land. I'm building a Node app. And uh, now I'm on my Elixir phase. And the interesting thing to me is that Node seemed all right, but I already knew JavaScript, you know, and this is totally different. And I'm not trying to come at it from learning Phoenix first. I'm wanting to learn about Elixir first. And uh, I don't know, it just feels it feels really fun. So if anyone's out there is looking for another language or looking for some to, something fun to play and not the next bag, bandwagon to jump on, but something fun to mess around with, check out Elixir. Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, it's something great to learn. It'll teach you new concepts and, and things that you can take to whatever the actual next bandwagon is, if Elixir isn't it. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've been hearing a lot of uh, stuff in the uh, Elixir community. So first of all, everyone's been really helpful. Everyone's been really welcoming, which I think is awesome. It has a really homey feel to it still. Um, but I am seeing a lot of people, there's all these articles on Medium, like why I'm betting on Phoenix or why I'm betting on Elixir or why I'm doing this. And then why I'm moving from Rails to Phoenix. Well, first of all, they're not the same thing. I mean, Phoenix is a framework, yes, but it's not a one-to-one -one translation to Rails. So you shouldn't be building a Phoenix app. What, what I'm meaning to say is you shouldn't be building a Rails app in Phoenix, right? You should learn how to do it the Phoenix way. You should learn how to do things the Elixir way. And the interesting thing about Elixir is that it looks kind of like Ruby at the start, but it's not even close. Uh, so the first few exorcism pro projects that I did... I would find myself writing Ruby and I would think to myself, wow, this is really difficult. And then I would take a step back and try to look at some idiomatic elixir. And then it would dawn on me, wow, I'm making this way too hard on myself. I really need to become familiar with list, uh, the list uh, module and the enumerator module because they're very powerful. But all that to say, if you're going to jump on the bandwagon, make sure that you try to approach it from 
Elixir's way of thinking or Phoenix's way of thinking and don't say, I'm going to build a Rails app in Phoenix because I think you'll probably be disappointed. Yeah, I think that's definitely kind of a common theme with programming languages is that if you if you look at a programming language from the perspective of another programming language, it's kind of always going to look terrible because every language has its weird quirks, its things that are unique about it. And, and that's what makes us love those languages. I mean, there's a lot of weird things about Ruby that I'm a huge fan of. There's a lot of weird things about JavaScript that I kind of like. And I think that's totally fine, but it, it really is important to remember that each language has its own quirks. And those quirks are not going to be the same as the ones you really like or hate from another language. And there's something for everybody, you know? There's something that everyone can enjoy and latch onto and and uh, build on top of, which you know, that, I think that's great. That's a great thing about programming. So you were talking about uh, StarCraft earlier, Paul, and... I have a little bit of a confession to, to make about a new habit that I picked up. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, well, so far, I'm undefeated in League of Legends. <laughs> oh, man. How long has it been? Uh, a week, maybe. So I should say that with, uh, or I should preface that with, uh, I've played robots. <laughs> uh, I'm not undefeated against humans because I haven't played any other humans, but... Uh, well, see, it's it's kind of fun, but it's it's interesting to think about when you know you're talking about that old Warcraft article and hopping onto Reddit. It's always interesting for me when I jump into a world like that where there's lots of nuances. People are talking about different bugs and different things about the the game, and I'm thinking as a programmer, I'm like, I wonder why that is, or you know, I wonder why that's happening. I don't know. Maybe I can find some engineering articles about it and talk about it later. But I had to. I had to let the detail slip and uh, also plug that if anyone wants to add me, just uh, hit me up, tweet at me and I can send you my username. I think I think that's so interesting though, because I always, whenever I discover or hear about a bug in a game, I always think, now what could be causing that? It's It's kind of like a, it's just stuck in my head now. There's just so much programming in there that I always want to figure out what causes something to work in a certain way. Or even if it's not a bug, even a feature in a game, I'm like, now, that's a really interesting thing that when you shoot the person's arm, it flies off and fall out. <laughs> yeah. How do you think they implemented it? What do you think the technical challenges were of that issue? Like, how do you make something like that? And, and I, love, I love just sitting there playing a game and thinking about the programming challenges of it. I, that's kind of a, it's a nice way to relax and still keep those programming muscles working a little bit. I would, I would love to talk to somebody that knows about that sort of stuff. Uh, so if any of you out there are game programmers or know about game programming, hit us up in the Slack because I want to talk to you. I've got so many questions, uh, even about Fallout I have at alone. least five questions. How does Fallout do half the things that it does? It's unreal to me. Um, even some of the bugs, uh, just just crazy to me. But just watching YouTube videos of stuff, even when Skyrim was out, like the bug where dragons were flying backwards. you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a good yeah. one. So if you have information, if you have insider information, let us know because I, I got to know. I have to know that stuff. I mean, I, I think it's interesting. You look at games and they do so much. They do so much processing. And it, it kind of makes me just think about the fact that people kind of can't even comprehend how fast computers are. They're so fast. They do so much stuff every single millisecond, and it's just incredible. It is pretty insane. You actually sent me an article earlier tonight about something pretty relevant to this. Uh, apparently, Facebook, in a lot of their user interactions, actually intentionally slows things down. So if you're doing like a privacy audit, I think that was the example in the article you sent. If you're doing a privacy audit, 
every time you click next, it'll actually kind of go through a little progress bar state where it looks like they're calculating things. But of course, they're, the computers at Facebook, the way they have these things set up are significantly faster. But to most normal people, if things go that fast as they actually go in the computer, it feels like something's broken or that Facebook isn't actually checking your privacy settings. So they had to manually slow it down in order for people to take it seriously. And I think that's that's so fascinating. I get the same feeling sometimes. I'll, I'll be using uh, an app here or there and things are happening almost too fast where I don't realize something happened. Like they'll they'll all have some sort of interaction, whether it's in progress, that little bar that shoots across the top or like a little you know, a little loading icon, but sometimes it's so fast, I don't realize it. And so I kind of sit there for a minute and wait for something to happen. And one one place I noticed this happening a lot was actually in Rails apps with that were using turbo links that weren't using mProgress or something. You would click on a link, but you wouldn't see the icons in the browser that you're used to changing. You kind of subliminally notice them out of the corner of your eye. They wouldn't change. There wouldn't be that flicker. So I wouldn't realize that anything happened. Or even in a worse case, you would click on a form and submit it and nothing would seem to happen. So you click again and you click again. And that was one thing that I had to learn really fast when I started working on apps was I needed to deal with people double tapping that button, you know, uh, disabling buttons, disable all the buttons. If something's submitting, just disable them all. Not even if, even if they're not even related to the form, just disable it, you know. But I think, you know, for me, that was one of the things that I thought was interesting is if it's too fast, it doesn't feel like anything happened. And like you said, there used to be all these uh, progress bars all the time. And, and that was some sort of like prominent visual feedback to the user that, hey, something is happening here and something's going on. The server's doing something. Well, and those aren't dead by any means. I mean, even stuff like end progress with turbo links, that's actually faked. Uh, it doesn't really do anything. It's just kind of trickling along there until the page loads in. It's just something to make you actually get that the computer is working on it. It's the same reason we have spinner gifts and all that sort of thing. They exist just because people kind of aren't sure what's going on in the computer. We actually... Even people who program every single day, a lot of times they're just not great at realizing when the computer is working or not. Yeah. And you'll hear people say something like this all the time. Did it work? Is it done? Did it work? I clicked the button, but nothing happened. Yeah. And that's kind of the same thing is there wasn't enough visual feedback, I suppose. Actually, thousands of things happened, (laughs) but we just forgot to put a spinner on it. So now you file the bug report. And I think that's one of the really interesting things about the kind of the intersection of UX and programming is that you get to these problems where, yes, it's doing the right thing. The computer is working correctly, but you can actually make people think that it's not because you are looking at the computer as from the code side and most users never see that or think about it or even know it's there necessarily i've actually had some discussions with people in the past and this is not making fun of them or anything like that but i've actually had discussions with people where they say oh wait you mean microsoft word was made by humans i just thought microsoft made it and like pe- people don't even necessarily re- realize that programs are made by people and so it's so important to provide all those affordances. Wow. I've never thought that people would think <laughs> that. I get it. It makes sense. You know, if like you just don't know, how, how are you supposed to know if you're not anywhere in that yeah, realm? Because there's no way you could know. I mean, it's the same reason that people leave app store reviews on apps yeah. and say, I can't believe Apple would make this. It's so terrible. And they don't understand that Apple doesn't make everything in the app store. Right. Yeah. Which I, it's so it's so easy to laugh and and be mean about that, but it really is I, I think an important part of developing stuff for people, which is something I personally try to focus on. Yeah, it's and it's also a big thing in client relations if you're working in consulting, working with clients. 
it can be really hard as a developer. It can be a really uh, humbling thing as a developer to try to approach what you're working on with just a blank slate, a blank mind and a completely open mind. You know, It's really difficult when you're working with people that aren't necessarily tech savvy and you have to break things down to them. And a lot of the times we work ourselves into a frenzy with deadlines and we try to work so fast and then suddenly we have to slow ourselves down. We have to slow our fast minds down, You know, our really smart minds down and we have to dumb something down for a client. And I really try to check myself on that because I'm really quick to, oh, uh, I, I have a lot of stuff to do. You know, I have a lot of stuff to get done and I don't have time to explain this to you, but that's not a correct way for me to be thinking. And, uh, you know, I should be catering to them because they are the client anyway. But yeah, that's one of the hardest things for me to do is just to approach what I'm doing with no uh, preconceived notions and trying to like throw out of my mind how it works and approach it with a blank slate. You know what, Sean? What's that? I think we should all just try to be a little bit nicer. That's a big thing, man. That's a big thing in the tech world. I mean, in the world, period, you know. Our thanks to Hired for sponsoring Does Not Compute. If you're looking for a new job, you should definitely give them a look. After you've signed up and filled out your profile, you'll get access to a dedicated talent advocate. They'll give you unbiased profile and interview tips and are just generally really helpful throughout the job search process. If you sign up at hired.com slash does not compute, Hired will give you a $2,000 bonus to say thanks when you find your next job through them. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and remember to say hi in the Spec Slack. You can sign up right now by going to spec.fm slash slack.